this is going to be a fun episode, isn't it? Hey, look, there are birds again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like if we record before 11 a.m., there's birds, and that's what there is. There's just birds. It's fun ambiance, though. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 15 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called The Wonders of the Last Sea. I am a very aggressive falconer fish, swimming towards a herd of fish to kill one and take it back. <laughs> To my sea people masters, also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. See, I was going to go with fierce little fish. Fierce. Fierce is the word I wanted. I wanted fierce. I couldn't remember the I word. Gonna be, I was going to be a fierce little fish. But um, I was also going to be like Captain Nemo. Yeah. Because um, this is our 20,000 leagues under the sea chapter. Yeah, is it? Yeah. So, uh. Anyway. Who are you? I'm a tiny, fast-moving shadow, uh, also known as Chris. Ah, yes. (laughs) There you are. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today in discussing the penultimate chapter. We're back. The penultimate chapter again. Of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez. 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 We're almost done with this book. Yeah, we still don't have anybody to guest on our wrap-up episode either. We don't. So if you're out there listening and like to guest, you know, shoot us a uh, quick little email. I mean, if you're available within the week. Yeah. Like that, once this is aired. Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you need to set up a record time within like three days. Yeah, probably. Anywho. So, Wonders of the Last Sea. The Wonders of the Last Sea. Uh, as I said in my botched intro, this is... Uh, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea chapter. It is. And uh, I'm not going to say not a lot happens. But not a lot uh, not, not a lot happens, which is mainly just like, hey, we're taking a tour of, of the last sea. Hey, and, but what do we do to start these discussions? Well, before I... Because you're just diving straight I'm di- in. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's that sweet, sweet water. I'm diving straight yeah. into it. Usually to start off with, we do a summary. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. How do and we do that? We uh, pick five sentences out of the chapter that we think best summarize what happens and the action therein and read them to get a baseline for talking about it. So would you like me to go first or you to go first? You can go first. Okay. So I'll go and do my summary first then. I used your fancy teal pen. Ah, uh, so did I. Look at mine. <laughs> Look at us with matching summary notes. I couldn't find it to do my... Uh rewrite with so my rewrites in a different pen i see it was right there on the couch i see anyway here's my summary how beautifully clear the water is said lucy to herself as she leaned over the port side early in the afternoon of the second day and by its shape she saw already that it was a shadow of towers and pinnacles minarets and domes and then lucy nearly squealed aloud with excitement she had seen people but then Reepicheep once more repeated the old prophecy. Where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reepicheep, there is the utter east. 
Aslan's country, perhaps, said the mouse, its eyes shining. Okay. So. You focused a lot on the underwater people. I only mentioned them once. I mean, that's 80% of the chapter. Yeah, but it's also (laughs) nothing of the chapter. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Mm -hmm. So, we're going to have to, you know, this isn't an... This isn't a Narnian shadow physics podcast, but we are going to go deep in onto the shadows. <laughs> uh-huh. Thanks, Lewis. Um, so here's my summary. Yeah. Very soon after they had left Ramondu's country, they began to feel that they had already sailed beyond the world. And then Lucy nearly squealed aloud with excitement. She had seen people. We must be caught in some strong current. I tell you, the water's sweet, said the mouse. Now the light grew no less. If anything, it increased, but they could bear it. Oh, you were focusing much more on the journey. Yep. Uh, Yeah, I also had to include that sentence when... uh... Where it talks about Lucy leaning over the port side of the ship because yes, you know we actually had reference to. I was going to mention to, uh, that when you said it, I was like, "Oh yeah." We finally need to know what that is. Well, you know, do we really? Vi- <laughs> Not really. Do we actually need to know which side of the ship she's leaning over? I suppose we don't. It's you know, <laughs> helps visually. Which Sorry. is funny because despite the fact that that word is in it, yeah, I always ha- I pictured her leaning over the starboard side of the ship as they go. You're just a rebel, aren't you? Yeah, like. Not unintentionally, like it was you saying that as you read it that I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I visualized that completely wrong. I visualized that on the wrong side of the ship." Mm-hmm. So Lewis did it again. He has this habit, and I, I I don't know if it's been in every book, but I know it's been in at least two before this, mm-hmm. where the penultimate chapter is just dumb. <laughs> yeah, and this this very much happened in Horse and His Boy. And this very much happened in, I want to say Prince Caspian too, but maybe not. It was definitely one of the other ones though. Yeah. But it's a penultimate chapter. Like we're supposed to have like, you know, we have this rising action, like we're sailing off to the end of the world, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have a chapter which doesn't really develop plot at all. Like one thing happens that develops plot where we discover, oh, the water's sweet and Reepicheep's prophecy is coming to be realized. Cool. But then most of the chapter is just talking about mermaids and an undersea city and how cool, like, the little falconer fish are. Yeah, and how weird the shadows are. Yeah, and those aren't characters. Mm. Like, they're not even, they don't even become characters. It's just like, It's hey, just world building. Yeah, it's world building in the second to last chapter of the book. Yeah. Which is a weird spot to do And Drinian even says, <laughs> it's always unlucky to see these people. Yeah. What do you mean by these people, Drinian? Um Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Uh, Drenian, Drenian's interesting in this chapter. He gets a lot of dialogue, and he gets very, uh, he gets real feisty. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So, they start sailing up to the end of the world. And the days are growing longer, it's growing brighter. But uh, they're needing less sleep, and they're le- needing less food. Yes, which is an interesting thing to talk about when we get to the point where they're all drinking the water. Why do you think that is, though? I don't know. I mean, like, if this is a rotating disc... Uh-huh. There might be something about the physics of being closer to the edge. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Sorry, I just had a really cool mental image of, like, a rotating disc in space. Uh-huh. Where the sea is 
being pulled outward uh-huh. off the edge yeah. so that the sea, like you could just keep sailing on the sea with nothing of the landmass below you because the centrifugal force is pulling it out. I like your brain. <laughs> I like my brain too. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, it, it could be that. I was, I mean, going into this, I was thinking of a more... <laughs> me- Sorry. What? I, I'm just laughing at myself. Uh-huh. Uh, I was going with a more metaphysical kind of image or like, I don't know, a philosophical take on it where. Oh, the wanna... closer that they get to Aslan, the less needs they have physically or something. Yeah, where I, I don't know how best to put it, because my first thought was something like, oh, the closer they get to the edge, like the. The world's becoming less real, but that's not really what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um the closer they get to the edge of glory the further away they get from humanity or like you know maybe they're they're in this weird transitional space between like life and death because like if we're gonna say you know oh there's the emperor across the sea and you know aslan's country which are basically heaven and the allegory okay so like the closer they're getting to this heaven or this place like that is beyond uh, the normal mortal world, the more their bodies are going accustomed to being in that kind of state, I guess. Where like, I don't know. I, or, I, I know there's a more eloquent way to put this. just a result of having eaten from Aslan's stable, and it actually has nothing to do with being close to the edge of the world. I would say that, but then later on in the chapter, when they all start drinking the water, they're just like, oh, we can drink this water, and then we can take the sunlight now, and we don't need to eat anymore. Yeah. And, like, all that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. I know there's a more eloquent way to put this. But, yeah, fascinating stuff is happening to them as they uh, get closer to the edge. But, anyway, we have the 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 lion's share of this chapter is taken up by, by, Lucy's, by the Lucy's observations looking over the port side of the ship. No, I'd say that the lion's share of this chapter is taken up by a discussion of how shadows work. Yeah. We... And whether or not you've ever seen a shadow out the window of a train. Yeah. Lewis likes his train imagery a lot. Apparently, like, this is a cultural touchstone where he's just, like, everything compared to trains. Yeah. So anyway, uh... We, we have this whole, like, pages and pages of description of what Lucy sees looking over the edge. There's very clear water. And she sees, like, there's, oh, there's an underwater forest, and there's a road going through it, and, oh, the road comes out to a clearing. And then there's, uh, we start seeing shadows of some giant thing in the distance that's all knobbly and jagged. And, oh, wait, the closer we get to it, we realize it's a city. It's a city on a hill that's underwater. And there's spires and minarets, and it's like a giant castle. Might just be a castle, might be a city. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she asks herself, but I wonder why they built it on top of a high mountain. But then we have to explain that, because, like, we get we get into, like... Yep, the, uh... The, the under, undersea geography. Yes, we, we have an under... Narnian undersea <laughs> geography. Uh-huh. Um, sorry, geology. Yeah. The, uh... The climate effects of being underwater and how being deeper underwater is more cold. Yes. And more predators. Yeah. So as opposed to like our mountaintops being covered in snow, their great valleys and depths would in fact be covered in cold. 
And so they want to be higher, closer to the sun. Yeah. Less, less krakens up there, too. See, now, for me, this doesn't quite translate for an inverse because a city on a hill is defensible. Yeah, like, that's a pretty common thing to see in the world. Regular yeah, world to have a castle on a hill, yeah. like even Caraparavel was out on like a peninsula uh-huh. that was far enough removed to over centuries become an island. Yeah, and so like that is a defensible position because there's only like one way that people can come at you, and if you're on a hill, like I just I don't understand why Lucy's so like confused by the fact that it would be on a hill. Yeah, I, I mean, like, from a strategic standpoint. Um, but yes, it makes sense. It's a thing you see yeah. on Earth all the time. And, uh, you know, ostensibly, Lucy has read all the right books, so I'm not sure Yeah. why she's not aware of this. Yeah, well, I mean, like, so I, I get the idea of, like, wanting to go into the world building of an underwater society where the deep, dark depths are, in fact, where, like, the monsters and the adventures are. Mm-hmm. But, like... That's also true of a non-underwater society to some extent. Like, yeah. anyway, whatever. Who knows? Anyway, uh, we talk about the underwater geography. They see the city, and oh heck, they see people. Between 50 and 20 of them mounted on giant seahorses. Not they, Lucy. Yes. <laughs> Lucy sees people. Yes, and it doesn't describe the people in any way to say, hey, they're mer people. Like, they're they're not fin-bearing people in the way that, like, they're not described as being humanoid or non-humanoid. They are just described as people riding seahorses. Yeah, I, I do have artwork of them in my book. Do you have artwork of the sea people? I think people? I might. Okay. They have legs. Do you have the same art that I do? Yeah, I have this one. Uh-huh. Cool. Yep. No, I mean, they're, sorry. Okay, so they're described <laughs> as people, you said mer people or mermaid earlier. Yeah. And that always draws to mind the image of a half fish, half human. Uh-huh. Um, but in this case, they're, even the artwork in the book is showing them with legs and arms. Yeah. They're very regal, though, and royal, and they have these, you know, crowns, and they're, you know, not wearing any garb. They're They're naked. But, uh, Are they described as naked? I mean, the artwork shows them as naked. It does say, There were men and women both. All wore coronets of some kind, and many had chains of pearls. They wore no other clothes. Okay. Yeah. Their bodies were the color of old ivory, their hair dark purple. There you go. I'm not really sure what the color of old ivory is, but I want to say yellowish. Yeah, something like that. Like yellow-skinned, purple-haired people. It's fun. It's an aesthetic. Uh, but they it find is. the purple though parallels the purple of the sail of the dawn treader. Whoa! 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 <laughs> so anyway, they're a hunting party though because they come yeah. out and they're on the little horses and they have these fierce little fish that they're uh, they're letting loose into the schools of other fish to catch them and bring them back. Yep. And we we go into a description of like how how this is basically falconing. Oh hey. Yeah, Lucy remembers a... doing this. Do you remember? Do you remember going on them? A falcon hunt yeah, um absolutely yeah uh so hey that's what they're doing cool glad to see that like no matter where you go cultures are all basically the same uh even if under the sea <laughs> under the sea you know if they're if they're royal people if they're of good stock mm-hmm. uh you know yep if they're just like trashy like trailer park undersea people like yeah i don't know they might make you some toast i was trying to 
I was trying to think of what they'd be doing, and I couldn't th- think of anything appropriate. Yeah. Um, so anyway. <laughs> so there's all this description of the of the undersea folk, whatever they're called, and apparently they, they've never seen a ship or a human before, maybe. Seems like they haven't, because they they react very strongly to the Don Treader, Don Treader passing overhead, and the, the leader shakes his spear at it, and all the other men shake their spears at it. Yeah. And, like in a very threatening way. So these aren't necessarily, like, friendly sea folk. Yes, but they also don't attack them. Like, nothing else comes of it except, like, that they come up to investigate the ship, shake their spear at it, and then we just pretend like they weren't there. Yep, so... Like, if they if we don't see them, they don't see us. Cover your eyes. Cover your eyes, Lucy. Yeah, so Lucy... They're not gonna attack us. So as Lucy... As long as we're just this big boat up here. Yep. So Lucy has been watching this whole scene play out, and then the, she's joined by Drinian and Edmund, and they look, and they see this, and Drinian is just, like, freaks out, and he's just like, nope, turn around, turn around, pretend that you don't see anything, like, don't call attention to it, uh, pretend it doesn't exist, and Lucy's like, why? And Drinian's like, well, we can't have the men seeing any of that. No. They'll no. fall in love with undersea life. Yep. And they'll die. And they'll, and they'll want to go down there and join them? where they can't breathe i guess that's totally that's i mean (laughs) so is this almost consistent with all of the men i know really yep even me yep so is this i don't know is there kind of a siren mythos here where like these are these are sirens that are lure men to their deaths with their beautiful songs and sirens of the last sea yeah I don't know. Is that what Drenian's getting at? I mean, it does seem that way. He does seem very, like, these are sirens kind of thing. Yeah. But he also says it's always unlucky to see these people as if he's like a seasoned sailor who has seen sea people before and had bad luck from it. Apparently. Like, apparently the myths of Narnia are not that women are bad luck on ships, but that seeing sea people is bad luck on a ship. But then Lucy's like, there were sea people who lived near Caraparavel and who sang for us at our coronation and all of this. And Drenian's just like, nope. Those are different ones. Those are different ones. And they're, the- they're, they're fine. Those are the good sea people. They're the good luck sea people. <laughs> so apparently not only are there entire like civilizations under the sea in Narnia, there are different nations of them and different like. There's good luck and bad luck but, ones. Yeah, I know crazy it's like is this like the summer court and the winter court like yeah maybe <laughs> uh but anyway for whatever reason they're while they're having this discussion reap a cheap just dives in yep he just like immediately He's... gets in the water for some reason maybe he gets tempted by a sea woman i don't know uh maybe he, maybe there's like a sea rat maybe he <laughs> saw them shake their spears and he was just like i will accept this challenge just yep. dive sword first into the water yep another Another example of Reaper Cheap being kind of dumb. Uh, but anyway, we don't know it's Reaper Cheap right away. We just have a call. Uh, uh, we hear a plop. Yep. And we hear a call of man overboard. Yep. And then... Though not strictly a man. Yep. They, they quickly figure out that it's actually Reaper Cheap, and Drinian gets real pissed off. Well, Drinian thinks <laughs> that Reaper Cheap is going to point out these undersea people to everybody. Now... Um, how inattentive do all of the people on the ship, all of the crew, have to be to look for a man overboard and not see the sea people 
right below. I mean, does it say that they don't see them? It doesn't, because, but yeah. Drinian still says, be quiet, Reepicheep, when he pulls him up overboard. He sends no, all of the word. men away. Yeah. When He sends all of the yeah. other men away because he doesn't want Reepicheep to point out that there's sea people down there. Uh-huh. He pushes all of the crew away uh-huh. and says, I think I can haul up a mouse by myself. Yeah. And pulls Reepicheep up and says, don't say a <laughs> word. And Reepicheep just goes, sweet, it's sweet, it's sweet. That's a great Reepicheep impression. Thank sweet, you. Sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> Anyway, I, I did want to, like, just briefly go over this uh, this cursing of Reaper Chief that Drenian does, where he says, It ought to be put in irons, keel-hauled, marooned, have its whiskers cut off. Like, he's just like, yeah, yep, he's want to kill Reaper Chief right now. He's a ranty like, toward, dude. Yeah, he, he, he like, Drenian goes on a, he, he gets, he gets feisty in this chapter. Yeah. Like, he. He's grumpy. Yeah, like, this is, like, all the character development that Drenian ever gets in, like, the second to the last chapter of the book. And he's just, like, Grump. spicy. Yep. <laughs> he's a little salty, a little spicy. He should get in that sweet, sweet water. Yep, he should. Uh, anyway, so Reaper Sheep gets pulled back aboard, says, oh, hey, the water's sweet, and everybody's like, the heck are you on about? And then they throw buckets <laughs> over and pull up water also without noticing the sea people. Yeah, it does seem like kind of a plot hole, doesn't who it? Who still haven't attacked them. Yeah. Like, he's not... They're... they're now, the people on the boat are taking the property of the sea people, their water, their home. I mean, it, they're, is it... It is it is coming and stealing their resources. Like, if they didn't have a reason to attack the Not Treader before, they certainly do now that they're pulling up the water. Mm-hmm. So, like, if sea people came on land with, like, big sacks and, like, just started taking air? No, dirt. <laughs> I'm saying taking dirt. Okay. Like... Like, something that we actually use, like farm soil. I mean, I, I feel like, the, I mean, in the context of the sea folk, like, the water would be the equivalent of air to us. Like, that's just the medium they exist in. Okay, whatever. Like, it's not, you know, yes, we need air to live. They need water to live. But I don't think it's, like, a resource that they would say they own. Okay, whatever. I don't know. Um, anyway, we, re- we reiterate the prophecy of Reaper Cheap. Yep. Hey, the water's growing sweet. Doubt not. Utter east. And I want to point out, because we brought up this prophecy in, like, the first couple chapters of the book when Reaper Cheap's like, I want to sail to the edge of the world. Yeah. And there's the line in the prophecy that says, doubt not Reaper Cheap. And at no point in the book has Reaper Cheap ever expressed, like, the slightest hint of doubt about anything. And I feel like that's, that's not a plot hole, but that's a missed character opportunity. Or like, hey, there's this prophecy being like, doubt not. And yeah. maybe Reba Cheap could have had a moment where like he he struggles with faith and like sails along and like doesn't find anything and like is, you know. Yeah, he. I think that he is laid out in this in this book though to be a character that is like the champion of faith as opposed to yeah. an overcoming of doubt. Like, but I do think that there would be more of a compelling character arc and story for him if that were the case, like yeah. you're saying. But I also think that, like, he's set up to be, like, the prophet Elijah. Yeah. Like, he's set up to be a faithful character who shows no doubt. Yeah. Which is kind of boring in my opinion, but whatever. 
he does get really excited about the water being sweet, though. Sweet, and, sweet, sweet. Uh, so anyway, Reap Sheep makes this discovery, and then they all start pulling buckets of the water on board and drinking of it. And no, Caspian drinks it first. <laughs> yes. Oh, Sir King, would you like to have this first after Reap Sheep dove into it? Would and you I'm, like some mouse bath water? Well, apparently it's... <laughs> but Caspian says, I'm not sure it won't kill me. Yep. Like, that's the line that he says. Yep, he's, I mean, he's either brave or stupid. He, like, he drinks some, and he's like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's good. Also, not sure it won't kill me. Well, I mean, <laughs> also, he just witnessed Reaper Sheep, like, following into it and coming back out and being like, the water's sweet and Reaper Sheep's not dead, so. Yeah. If it's not gonna kill a, if it's not gonna kill a mouse, I don't know. Um, though, this is, this might be the first instance of, like... In, in Narnia, a drug trial on mice before humans. <laughs> this is historical precedent for the first time this ever happens. I see. I um, see. <laughs> but anyway, they bring up buckets of this water, start drinking it, uh, and apparently it's like drinkable light. Yes. And that just Which like... Which is what Reepicheep says. He, he just says it's drinkable light. And that just immediately reminded me of, like, the old 90s Sunny D commercials. <laughs> yeah. Of, like, the little sun mascot. Yep. And being, like, it's sweet, it's, like, drinkable light. Like, they're basically sailing on an ocean of Sunny D right now. Yes, they are. Absolutely. Which is a flavor I can distinctly remember. I never knew what Sunny D was supposed to taste like. Because, <laughs> like, it doesn't really taste like anything real. It's just its own thing. No, it's just, like, it, 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 the closest, like... This is not a Sunny D review podcast. Um, wow. Like the, <laughs> I thought we were done with that yeah, joke. Uh, well, I hadn't made one yet. Uh, anyway, I should get off this tangent. <laughs> There's just so little to talk about in this chapter. I feel like I need to... No, but Sunny D has a distinct flavor. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, that's all. And that's what this water tastes like. Anyway, they bring up buckets of the stuff. And they're like, it's like drinkable light, but it's strong. <laughs> yeah, it's strong. We, sh- we shan't have to eat. Yeah. What? So. <laughs> and that's all Lucy, too. Like, yeah. that's not any of the actual men. Lucy tries it, and she's like, well, we definitely won't need to eat now. Apparently huh? not. And they're just going to sustain themselves on the light, and they everybody on board drank, and they all start feeling extra strong, and then that has the other side effect of, like, oh, hey, they're sailing toward the sun, and the sun's getting better, and there's all this big, bigger, not bitter. Uh, well, how do you know the sun's not better? <laughs> and the sun's getting bigger and there's all this light. The sun might be a punished star. It didn't want to be here as the morning dawn of of Narnia. Sending birds out every day. Nope. Uh, anyway, but all this Ooh, light... Speaking of the birds, if you want to add more content, mm-hmm. are the birds just like the uglified dwarves the, that became the... This is a question from a listener. Uh-huh. Are, are the birds being sent out or being part of Ramondu's world in the same way that, like, the Duffers or the Duffelpuds are some part of Kariakin's world? I mean, it's, it's possible. Like, they both have their charges, like, I guess. But I I would hesitate to say that it's the same kind of situation because, like, the birds are actively restoring Ramondu. Yeah. Like, they're the ones bringing him the coal and, like making him younger actively 
And so I feel like that's more of a, they're not necessarily a gift, but part of his life cycle or something. Okay. And they're not really like his responsibility in the same way the Duffers are for Karaikin. Yeah. I mean, also Karaikin is being punished yeah. and <laughs> Ramondu is being restored. Yeah. Uh, so anywho, yeah, the light, they can bear it now. Yep. It's not too bright. Uh, and then people stop talking to each other too. Yep. Like they've been talking less and less this whole part yeah, too. Like that's Which also I a thing. Which I find odd as it's like a breaking of community. Yeah. And like, I thought that was a weird, like a weird bit of world building is that, oh yeah, they don't need to eat and like they're not, they're sleeping less and everybody's at peace and like going more into like this state of being beyond or like in a heavenly realm or something but also we stop talking to each other because like who needs that yeah they just have less needs all around Uh including talking to each other which i don't like yeah and that's it's as an introvert i also don't like like that's it's just weird and it's like a really boring idea of heaven which is like oh hey yeah we don't eat or sleep or talk to each other and we just kind of hang out and yeah look at see people but and don't look at him. <laughs> but don't look at him. No, we might be tempted to go overboard. Yeah, uh, he's not painting a great picture of, like, Aslan's country here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, then they realize that they are caught in a current and being pulled forward yep, with wind no wind. And they are getting pulled forward in a current and they realize maybe, just maybe, there is an edge to the world that they are just going to plummet off of. Apparently that makes sense. Because the current is pulling them towards something. Mm-hmm. So they're like, wait, is there just like a giant cataract or giant waterfall that we're just going to plummet over and be broken on the rocks at the bottom? And it's like, well, is there a bottom? What's at the bottom? Well, maybe it's every, maybe it's Aslan's country and maybe there is no bottom. Maybe we just fall forever. But wouldn't that be amazing? And it's like, whoa. Maybe we're in the back of a giant turtle. Maybe uh, we're just going to fall and just see turtles all the way down. <laughs> Something I never got about the whole Discworld theory, and like, well, not theory, we established that Narnia is one, but the idea of Discworlds, and you see them a lot of times depicted, like, here, or like, in, you know, how how Asgard be in the, the Thor movies, and like, that kind of thing, where like, oh, hey, it's this flat thing, there's an edge, and like, there's water continuously falling over it. Yeah. Where's the water coming from? Yeah. It's like, if the sea is constantly draining out over the edge... How, why is there still ocean? Why like, indeed? Where... Why indeed, sir? Because there's no, like, giant waterfall, like, coming from the sky in the center of Narnia to, like... How do you repro- know? How do you know? Well, I guess I don't know. We've How never, do you know? We've never mentioned this. No. It that just... doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's just magically infinite water for some reason. Yep. It is. Cool. It's water all the way down. <laughs> uh, anywho... So they might fall oh, over the Oh, but then edge. we also have Caspian realizing for the first time, you never told me you came from a round planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the structure of the conversation here is weird because they're talking about going over the edge of the world as like this theoretical thing of being like, oh, hey, maybe the world actually does have an edge and we might go over it. And like the Narnians don't necessarily know the structure of their world yeah except two sentences later caspian's just like 
oh yeah, of course we live in a flat world. Like we hear, we have stories about people who live on round worlds and I never thought that would be possible. Yeah. And like, this is a common knowledge thing that Narnia is flat. Yeah. Well, it was a common knowledge thing that earth was flat too for a long time. Not, 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 not that long. Um, but I guess I, I, I want to know how they go about discovering this because like, discovering the earth is round even without like going to space and being able to see it is relatively easy to do because you can measure the curvature of the earth Mm -hmm. and like you can see things like ships going over the horizon and like disappearing so like it's very obvious that there is a curvature yeah so it's very obvious that there isn't here yeah it's just like i guess that's an observation they could make possibly yeah i don't I don't see but, why you're asking me questions about this. Like, I don't know how Narnians know that they live on a flat planet. Yeah, I, I have no way of knowing yeah, that. I don't know. It's just, I, I think it's interesting that Caspian says, uh, you know, talks about it as like a very matter of fact thing when they are the first people to ever actually go to the edge. And so. Yep. Cool. I, I don't know. But he really, he really is curious about what it's like to live on a ball. Like, yep. have you ever gone to the part where people walk upside down? This doesn't work that way, Caspian. Yeah. yeah. And then Edmund's just like, there's nothing particularly exciting about a round world when you're there. And then that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the, the end, end of it. Chat. That's the end of the chapter. <laughs> Closed scene. Lewis also ends chapters on really weird lines. Yeah. It's just like, that's a thing. Yep. So we got one more chapter in this book. Yes. Uh, we, we spent that entire chapter, like, world building for, like, a thing that's probably not going to be consequent, like... Yeah, have no consequences uh, at all. Yeah. Like, it's just world building for the sake of world building. We're not going to the... meet the sea people. Like, they're not going to be a plot point, probably. It's just the wonders of the last sea. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just the wonders of the last sea. Yep. Like, this is part... This is part of what I really don't like about island hopping adventures is because every time you go to a new island, you have to world build there. And then even when you don't go to a new island, you're still world building somewhere. Yeah. Like, and it's like, cool, world building is awesome. Let me play in this new world that you built. As opposed to, hey, look, here's a new world. Hey, look, there's another new world. Hey, look, another one. Another one. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so is there anything that happened here that we didn't really get into that we need to talk about? It's always unlucky to see these people. <laughs> Why is Lucy the only one looking over the edge of the ship? Because he's, you know, pedaling around and not working and, like, everybody else actually has a job. Like, <laughs> she's, she's, she's just, just like, sitting there staring over the edge. Yeah, she's just being lazy, I guess. Like, like I don't... Like, why isn't she swapping the deck right now and being useful? <laughs> I just think that it's interesting to use Lucy's observation as an instrument in this case as opposed to Eustace. I think it would have been more valuable for Eustace's character development to have him be the one who saw all of this. We could finally bring up, bring back his journal. We could. He could, he'd be, he could be, but God, I can't talk during this episode. He could be keeping a journal and, like, chronicling this... Uh, undersea society and being like day 300 and whatever yeah why people why are they building on the top of the mountain closer to the surface like we've established in the book you know the perfect plot device to do this kind of exposition yeah and and it's not not just lucy talking to herself yeah there are so many quotes in the first 
third of this chapter where it is just Lucy looking over the side of the ship talking to herself. Yep. Like, if you're going to have someone talk to themselves, do it in a journal. That's a great way to do it. Like, bring back Eustace's journal. Yes, please. Yeah, bring back Eustace as a character because he's not a character anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Eustace had a chapter. We're done with him now. Yep. Like, what? He's, he's just kind of there. He had his redemption and got to, you know, start being better. And that's kind of it. He got to start being better. <sighs> he's not better. But he got to start being better. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's something we're missing here. But realistically, no. Yeah. It's like oh. we, we covered all the plotty bits. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I think we can move on to our rewrites or your... All right, Kristen. What do we do next? Do we do rewrites next, or do you do your uh, speculation? Well, we do rewrites next, which is the structure we've always used for, you know, the past three books. Hey. So. Hey, now. <laughs> You're an all-star. Hey, now. Hey, now. It's, it's always one of those songs. Yep, it's always one or the other. Oh, gosh. All right. So, this is Narnia Chopped and Screwed, and what we do is we... Uh, like to go back through the chapter and pick out five sentences to tell an entirely new story with as a creative exercise and sometimes help us helps us to reframe some of the action in the chapter and uh find details that we might have missed give us some new discussion points and i did my summary first so would you like to do your rewrite first sure cool the sea people had noticed the dawn treader but by now everyone knew that it wasn't strictly a man then at last everyone understood. The shadow of the dawn treader, said Lucy. I'm not sure that it isn't going to kill me. Okay. A little, you know, bit of a creepy direction with that one. Yep, creepy and dark. There's a lot of creepy stuff yeah. in this chapter. Um, like there's a little path through the forest. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I liked the idea of the dawn treader being a, a monster, a yeah. person, as opposed to a ship mm -hmm. and so i liked the idea of this being like the sea people had noticed the dawn treader it's a kaiju but by now everyone <laughs> knew that it wasn't strictly a man uh-huh that's fun shadow of the dawn treader i'm not sure it's not going to kill me i don't know i just really enjoyed it yeah that's fun uh i also went kind of a creepy direction and i used one of the sentences you used as well <laughs> why <laughs> how dare you sir i know that rarely happens during our rewrites but all right so my rewrite is as follows his face was changed. They both looked, but almost at once Drinian said in a low voice, Turn round at once, your majesties. That's right, with our backs to the sea. But by now everyone knew that it wasn't strictly a man. It's always unlucky to see these people. And for a long time they were all silent. <laughs> so... Oh, well, a little, little horror twist in there. What I was going for. Yeah, I do. I don't feel like you dramatically changed the story though, because like you kind of, other than the face was changed part, like it's like okay, what are these people now then? Yeah. But like, it's still kind of the same plot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I was I was going for more of like, there's something creepy about Drenny in here and like mm -hmm. exploring his character. Okay. Yeah. And cool. Um. So that's the rewrites. Anything we want to say about those? I think that because we both went creepy directions, uh -huh. 
I think that when we both go in the same direction on something, like we try to both make something funny or we try to both make something scary or creepy or whatever, like it shows that there's a tone to the chapter yeah. that we're that we're like wanting more of or just like picking up a little bit on. Like yeah. this chapter is just Lucy looking down on an alien world as you know, she's she's in the UFO. She's in the unidentified <laughs> floating object. And uh-huh. observing a society yeah. that doesn't know what to think about it. Mm-hmm. Apparently doesn't attack them, but, you know, whatever. Like, Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of creepy undertones in many of the chapters in this yeah. book. Like, it's, it is, you know, it does have this kind of underpinning of darkness throughout a lot of it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Which is fun, I guess. Um Anyway, so shall we move on to our last segment here? Sure thing. So in our last segment, what do I do? Baselessly speculate. (laughs) This is baseless speculation. This is the section in which Chris, who has not previously read the book, um, discusses his baseless speculations about what's happening in the book, what's going on, what the plot might roll out into. He's just taking what he's got as a first-time reader of this particular book. And speculating about it. So, be free. Go. Have fun. Tell us more <sighs> about Tumnus. <laughs> Gosh, if I could work Tumnus into this, I would. But, like, I, I don't... think you could. I, if I really want to stretch. Gosh, I don't know. It, it gets really hard once we're in, like, penultimate and final chapter territory. It's just, like, there's not really a lot that can happen in the last chapter because it's only, like, eight pages long. Yeah. So, like, there... Unless he's going to go, like, make a hard left turn... And like, hey, you know, Eustace was dead the entire time or something. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I think that's Eustace actually... was actually a star the whole time. Whoa. Uh, so it gets really hard here. <sighs> I don't know. Like, I think most of what I was baselessly speculating about, like I peppered in throughout the chapter discussion, where I'm just like. I feel like they're in this transitional state between living and dead. And yeah. like maybe that's that's the deal with like the sea folk and why Drenian's just like, oh, it's very unlucky to see them. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a little pun there. Uh, and why Drenian was super freaked out was because like maybe these are like angels, you know, messengers of death. Maybe like mm. these are like. I don't know. Bad harbingers are, of the end. Yeah, harbingers of the end, and these are maybe these are like reapers or something like. Yeah, that said though, what what are they like? What do they know of Aslan and Aslan's country? Like they obviously live here in a much closer place. Mm-hmm. Like, what is Aslan to them? And like, are they are they of a different mind because they're closer to Aslan's country? Mm-hmm. Are they actually dangerous? Like, they live in this underwater area, so they're not getting that full effect of the sun or whatever, but they're also living in liquid light, maybe? And, like, I, I just... I want to know more about these people and their relationship to Aslan and whether or not, like, if they were on the surface, it would affect them yeah. the way that it's affecting everyone on the dawn treader like could they are they being pulled by the current into this over the edgeness like doesn't, doesn't seem so have they have they sent people that way like do they have more information do they 
Do they are they worried? Are they coming up to investigate the Dawn Treader to be like, brah, there's a big death over there. Don't go that way. <laughs> That's why they're shaking their spirits or just yeah. like turn no, no, back. No, no, turn back. Don't go that way. Well, we can assume we can assume a lot of things about their society. Uh, we can assume they're kind of jerks because like they're they, they you know they're naked except for the crowns they wear. So they like are really into like oh hey we're royal like we're something special like everybody's wearing crowns like we got our city on the hill we you know and my i guess my main supporting argument here is that they're living in this liquid light that as the people in the dawn treader established oh hey we can drink this and it's light but it's strong and we probably don't need to eat anything and like this will sustain us and like they're living in this stuff so you could probably make a safe assumption that it sustains them as well they don't need to go like eat anything from the sea and yet they're a part of this hunting party that's just going out and killing fish for fun it's <laughs> like hey this is fun to go kill things i mean it's <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't assume that they are being sustained by the water but that's that's me so i don't know mhm i mean seems like a fun life like <laughs> Living in, in liquid light, like riding around on your seahorse naked, like catching fish, like, I'd do it. Yeah, you'd ride around on the seahorse naked. I've had a comfy saddle. I don't think I've ever touched a seahorse, so I'm not really sure if they're like As pokey. spiny as they look? Yeah. Add a thing to the bucket list. Touch a seahorse. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I guess... I just I, I just want to know why they're a thing at all and like why Lewis felt the need to like put these people in is like is this is this his like oh I really need something like elves in this book because like we because yeah. we 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 have the dwarves and we have like the talking animals and we have the giants and all your fantasy races and like the elves are conspicuous conspicuously missing so you know they're just sea people and he was like no I, I really need to flesh out this world just a little bit more before we wrap this up because yeah, like I absolutely. feel like it's I feel like it's missing like the uh the ethereal elegant like mysterious race yeah like the ethereal thing though I feel like was very much addressed and grabbed onto with the idea of like the magician star people yeah like they they've almost kind of filled this role of like the Valar in Lord of the Rings. Like they are the like traveling wizards through our world who just happen to be on different islands because that's where they're resting. Yeah. Before they transcend to stardom again. Yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> but that's all I got. Like I, I sorry, I don't really have anywhere interesting to go with this. Uh I think I almost have to abandon my seven deadly sins theory. Hmm. Because, like, we don't, hit, we don't hit seven islands here. Like, I think in the book we have... So we have the Lone Islands. Mm-hmm. Then we had Dragon Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even want to count the Burnt Island, because, like, nothing happens there. Mm-hmm. But technically we could do that. Um, then we have Karayakans. Mm-hmm. And the Dark Island. Mm-hmm. And then we have Ramadu's place. Mm-hmm. So that's six. We also have Deathwater. Oh, we have Deathwater as well. So that is seven islands. Yep. Which is significant. Like, like that's definitely a thing there. Like, especially since we, you know, three of the lords were on one island and, you know, we, we didn't do this whole, like, lord per island thing. 
mm-hmm. the fact that there is still seven is something. Mm-hmm. But also, like, the burnt island doesn't count. Because, <laughs> like, we find a couple of burnt out huts. There's nothing else interesting. Reepicheep finds a canoe. Like, what is that? Like, can we even classify that as being a, an allegory for something? Because nothing really happens there. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, you want to do dive more into that, you should probably do it off air and then bring <laughs> it up in the wrap up. Yeah, I will. I know you have a list over there of uh, what other people's theories are about this. Um, I did. I ha- I can't find it right now. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll definitely talk more about that in the wrap up episode or episodes. We might do a couple of them. Who knows? Yeah. Or we but, might not do any. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think we've covered it though. So, next week we're doing the last chapter of this book, and then it's on to The Silver Chair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of my faves. Has your favorite female character in it. Oh, yeah. That pool. Cool. So, are there pools in this book? (laughs) I mean, there's the the pool where uh, everything that goes into it turns to gold. The death water. Yeah. There's the pool... Where Eustace meets the dead dragon. Yeah. And then the other one that he goes into, like the spring that he goes into to yes. renew himself. Ooh. We gotta we gotta look through that pool imagery again. <laughs> I guess it, that's a thing. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> Alright. We're just kinda rambling now, so we should probably close it out. Yeah. Also, like though, Kraiken, bruh. If they wanted to walk to the spring to get their water, maybe they had a good reason for it. Maybe, maybe the water gets dirty traveling from the spring to the river by the... Just, just maybe. Maybe. Also, why does it matter when you have a well? Well, you have a little pump. You had a water pump. We still haven't brought up the water pump. You're such an apologist for the duffers. This is like, you really want to... They're not as stupid <sighs> as Karaikin calls them. Anyway, would you like to close out the podcast? I'm almost done. Okay. Okay, sure. Um, oh, we also didn't mention that they can look straight into the sun. Oh, yeah. That's they can great. look straight into the sun. It's pretty cool. When they drink the water. The sun's six times bigger even, and they can still do it. Yeah, and they're just looking... They, couldn't look at this okay sorry is the sun aslan's country is that actually like our source of light and life and all of that is the sun and they're getting closer to aslan's country and that's why when they drink the water they can see it more clearly is the sun the emperor beyond the sea is the yeah maybe maybe and that's why the magicians are like okay cool got it like it all right moving on now (laughs) yep Thank you so much for joining us today as we discuss chapter 15 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Next week, we will be discussing chapter 16, the ultimate chapter, which is titled The Very End of the World. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is Narnia done? Is, is the book over? What, what, what happens in the next two books? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Um, so, we have The Very End of the World coming next week. And uh, until then, you can contribute to the discussion or argue with us or, you know, or agree with us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, 
or you can email us your fan art of the bucket of sweet water at chroniclypodcast at gmail.com. Yep. So until next time, yeah. <laughs> always let a mouse drink first from the water. Actually, no, I like the ring. Like, that has a nice ring to it. I like that one. And, uh... And whatever you do, don't look at the sea people. Don't look at the sea people. It's bad luck. <laughs> That's bad luck. Bad luck. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Bye. Bye. And yet they're a part of this hunting party that... Porty. Porty. How unattentive do all of the people on that ship have to be? Inattentive? Lisey. Lisey! Little Lisey. Little Lassie Lisey. Sweet! It's sweet! It's sweet! She's in the UFO. She's in the (laughs) unidentified floating object. And... Uh Bruh, there's a big death over there. Don't go that way. And this has been your Narnia Advice Podcast. (laughs) This isn't a Narnian shadow physics podcast. This isn't a uh, Narnian cosmology podcast, but... It basically is at this point. And this is not by any means a uh, a Narnian military advice podcast. But... (laughs) I feel like we're, we've reached the limit of that joke we can do for this episode. This is not a Sunny D review podcast. Um, wow. like the I thought we were done with that yeah, joke. Well, I hadn't made one yet. And like, I thought that was a weird, like, I don't know, a weird, a little. So, so is it time for me to start baselessly speculating about what the silver chair is about? Because I'm thinking, like, maybe it's just like a thrift shop adventure. <laughs> Hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> I think that there's going to be a chair in it. Yeah. And I think like... that it's not going to be silver. No, hear me out. <laughs> no, it's just like one of those weird things that you'd find in a thrift store, like somebody's art project of like an old armchair that somebody spray painted silver, like, and it's all patchy. Yep, that's how they like, get into Narnia. They just sit down in it and just like... Wait, <laughs> where am I? <laughs>